It's another episode of the Planet LP Podcast. Hi there, I'm Ted Asfragadu, and this is episode 60. Speaking of this episode, I'll be talking to returning champ Michael Magali about the way in which many of us experience music. And that's while driving in our cars or trucks. So in a way, you can call this episode Cartoons, but with a twist. And I'll get to that twist in a bit. If you've already connected with Planet LP on social media, then I'd like to say a very hearty thank you. And for those of you who want to connect with us, it's pretty easy. On Facebook, it's just Planet LP. Twitter and Instagram, we're at The Planet LP. And if you're a band, singer, or author looking to promote your work, Hit me up at ted at planetlp.com. Always like connecting with interesting people to talk to on this podcast. Now, as I mentioned, uh, the bit of a twist in this whole cartoons theme in this episode, it's well, it's pretty easy, really. Michael and I are going to talk about some albums or songs from our high school years. Songs are really cranked in the car while driving by ourselves or with our friends or family or whatever. And then flash forward to the present and talk about some albums and songs that we crank now. So it's kind of a past-present type of show. And with that, let's shove this beater car into drive and start motoring. Michael Migali, welcome back to Planet LP. Ted, it's always great to be with you, man. What's happening? Well, I think we're about to find out what's happening. We got a lot of... We've got a lot of cartoons to talk about. Now, vroom, for, those, for those who are new to the podcast, Michael and I used to be co-workers at iHeartMedia's news and traffic division. It's called Total Traffic and Weather Network. He still works there. I've moved on to another job where I work at the intersection of government and the media, but we still stay in touch and still share a passion for music. And I love to have Michael on the podcast because of his passion for music and because he really gets into the weeds with this stuff. Hey. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? But this is a place for music obsessives, so it stands to reason that I would have fellow music obsessives on episode after episode. I would say so. <laughs> I would say so. I, I think this may be our 10th. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, the last of- one was about mixtapes, right? That's, I believe so. Yeah. My memory is not as good as it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're on episode 60, so I'm like, okay, sure. (laughs) And it it kind of almost dovetails into this discussion because when we were making our mixtapes, right, Mm -hmm. we would throw them in the car stereo and we were driving around and see what they sounded like. You've got to road test these things. Absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, it it almost kind of goes hand in hand uh, the last time we got together in in Mm -hmm. this podcast. You make a good point. It's about for better or worse, cartoons. These are the songs or albums that really get you to turn up the volume and immerse yourself in a sonic reality that a band or an artist creates for you, the listener. And when you connect on on that kind of level, it's it's pretty magical at times. You know, you hear this song, you're like, yes, or you're just kind of in a different headspace. Hopefully yeah. you're paying attention to what's going on in the road, but you're very, very caught up in the um as I said earlier, the sonic reality that these artists are creating for you. I think we always still have that 19-year-old inside of us when we're driving down the road, 
Maybe we're pulling up to a stop sign and we're bumping a tune we really like and we've got the windows rolled down and and we don't (laughs) care what anybody thinks and we want everybody to hear what we're jamming to. Exactly. Because so many people just wear earbuds nowadays. You don't know know. what they're listening to. Yeah, 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 totally. So I know you had some thoughts about generally about the car or vehicles and how they have sort of morphed through time and how artists and bands have talked or sung, made songs about cars or driving. We're going to have a little bit of a history lesson from Michael Magali here. So Professor Magali, Ah. why did you take it? Well, it was kind of it was kind of what made me start thinking about this concept for a podcast, kind of the allure of driving, the freedom, mm-hmm. the mobility it provides. But this started really more uh, post-World War II when you had the migration of families out to the suburbs. You had the creation of the interstate highway system. Mm-hmm. So the 1950s into the 60s, that really changed the landscape, not only for suburbs and for family mobility and personal freedom and mobility, but it also really changed the landscapes of a lot of big cities and inner cities. You know, it was it was a big shift at that time. But in yeah. music, I would say, especially uh, talking about like the early 60s, you know, rock bands were singing about more innocent topics. They hadn't gotten really into the heavy stuff yet <laughs> about <laughs> feelings or if it was uh, the Vietnam War coming down the pipe uh, years later. But it was a lot more of a lighter, more innocent, uh, more, you know, talking about girls and cars. What else? Yeah. Right. So. So, I mean, the Beach Boys to me is yes. the perfect example. Yes. You know, I mean, listen to the, some of these songs like I get around like the lyrics. You know, we always take my car because it's never been beat and we never missed yet with the girls we meet. Right. I mean, it's just it's talking about yeah, car, cars and girls. Well. You know, I get around, round, round. Well, how do you get around from town to town, right? Yeah. Um, Little Deuce Coop is a, is another one. I, I'm not bragging, so don't put me down, but I've got the fastest set of wheels in town. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you um, and 409? Fun- you remember? She's real fine, my 409. <laughs> and and, and another one I thought was awesome was um was uh, fun, fun, fun. You know, oh, yeah. the, yeah. the girl's driving her daddy's car and but but she's cruising to the hamburger stand instead of the library. Okay. Yeah. This is a bad girl. This is my kind of chick. And, uh, you know, the Beatles, of course, drive my car to getting into mm-hmm. the mid 60s like Rubber Soul and, you know, seemingly a very innocent tune talking about uh, some woman who wants to be famous. She she has her personal driver who also apparently is available for sexual favors. Um, <laughs> but she's got no car and it's breaking her heart. But I found a driver and that's a start. You know, I mean, yeah. so that's kind of the early stuff. But for me, as bands got more complicated, they sang about more complex topics and more serious things. The allure of driving, the use of a car in a song, it it created a little more edge. And I think a a good example would be kind of into the later 60s, Born to be Wild, right? I mean, that kind of opens up a whole new page, you know, head out on the highway, looking for adventure, whatever comes our way. And into the 70s, I mean, there's so many songs, you know, from um, I'm in love with my car, Mm -hmm. Roger Taylor of Queen singing the lead on that one, Uh, rocking down the highway, the doobies, uh, highway to hell, uh, ACDC, even into uh, more recent times, like a life is a highway, you know, rascal flats. Yeah, Um, it's just it just keeps going through time and, and how it's 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 life on the road. It's it's in your automobile. It's the freedom of the open road, you know, like uh, going mobile by the who and Pete Townsend 
or a song like Gary Newman's Cars talking about kind of the isolation of being in a car, a, a metaphor, if you will, for, you know, I'm the safest of all in my car. I can lock all my doors. It's the only place to live. Going from the early innocence of the Beach Boys to, you know, kind of more complex ideas, you know, by the late 70s with a, a tune like Gary Newman. You know, the interesting thing you you highlight in in your recitation of this sort of this history is, is the songs kind of got more aggressive in a way, like, you, you know, the Born to be Wild, right? I mean, it's very yeah. out of the gate, like, and maybe it was a, a sort of Jack Kerouac inspired or something like that. I don't know the history of that particular song, but it seems like that the style of the music, not every song, obviously, but mm -hmm. the style of the music became more aggressive or like you, you talked about Gary Newman, that song talks a little bit more about the isolation and mm -hmm. there's something about driving by yourself, being alone in your car or, mm -hmm. and listening to some of these songs. To me, it's not so alienating. To me, it's somewhat relaxing if I can listen to music that I'm in my little bubble and I can turn it up as loud as I want. Right. Uh, and it it's not really bothering anybody. So there's, there's duality to it uh, as far as Gary Newman is concerned. But yeah, it's kind of interesting to see how you talk about the post-war, especially in the United States, mm -hmm. and how it's sort of this, with the Beach Boys at least, it's sort of, yeah, we're, we're cruising around, we're meeting girls, we're going to the beach, we're having fun, mm -hmm. and it's all in the automobile. But then you talk about you know, Europe, for example, with their post-war reconstruction. And it's it's a little different as far as the mentions of cars or vehicles or anything like that, because, well, quite frankly, a good chunk of their infrastructure was uh, was destroyed. Whereas, They're, yeah, yeah, just a few bottles to maneuver around. <laughs> exactly. um, certainly no uh, federal interstate freeway system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, I mean, yeah. it was a yeah. little bit different, but you know, the Beatles, by the time they wrote that song, that was 1966, Rubber Soul, mm -hmm. you know, they'd been to America a few times right. and they had kind of been exposed more to that culture, I guess. So maybe that yeah. kind of influenced um, some of the background of some of those songs. And that was right kind of on the, the tipping point, I think, for the band when they really started to expand their sound. It was kind of a right around that um, Rubber Soul period and uh right into uh, right after help i would say and you know? it's just a 10-year gap say for example between some of those early beach boys songs around 63 64 mm -hmm. and a song like radar love yeah by golden earring that's a story that's imagery about driving you know i mean it just sucks you in but i mean there's this urgency <laughs> in this story of this star-crossed lover who is somehow cosmically communicating with his lover who needs him and he must drive all night to get to her. And I mean, it's just the first lines of the song. I've been driving all night, man, sweat on the wheel because yeah. my baby's calling saying, I need you here. And it's a half ass four and I'm shifting gears. I mean, I'm in, <laughs> where are we going? This is great. Just the, yeah, the rhythm of that song. Yeah. It does have an urgency to it. It's great. So, it's great. Yeah, Things didn't well end well for our uh, star-crossed lover. Um, yeah. He was trying to pass cars and he was speeding and, you know, he was listening to Brenda Lee when apparently he um, had a head-on crash <laughs> yeah. there. Brenda Lee's coming on strong. Yeah. And, and the newsman sang his sing song, uh, sang song, One More Radar Lover Gone. <laughs> <laughs> 
It reminds me a little bit of Kiss's Detroit Rock City. That's a little bit. That, that's a that's a, another song about driving. But yeah, this guy, this guy crushes his car. He has a head-on collision and he's dead. That's the end. That's the end. It's, I mean, kind of. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's so many ways to go. I mean, even look at what Neil Peart did with with mm-hmm. Rush and Red Barchetta. I mean, it's kind of yeah, a more futuristic yeah. approach, like before the motor law, you know. And then yeah. suddenly, his crazy uncle out in the uh, out on the farm has stashed this car which is taboo you know yeah. for for many decades and then he's you know our, our characters driving the car you know and it's just it's fabulous um, and feels so, and feels alive feel, yeah, exactly feels exactly no alive, i mean know? no that song specifically the bridge breakdown in that song jun 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 wind yeah. in my hair dun dun shifting and drifting i love that i love that song i love the feel that he the the picture that he paints with that song and you know tom petty does the same thing in running down a dream you know Mm -hmm. it's just a lot Mm -hmm. of great imagery and tom can just paint a picture so well so yeah that's kind of where i'm at as far as the whole background which leads us to you know the songs that we like to play when we're driving Exactly. So let's go back to the past, shall we? Let's go back to our high school years first. And we can talk either about songs or albums. With that, you take the first one. Why, thank you. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start because when I was in high school, my my friend was driving two years before I was. He could not wait to get his license. And he and I would drive around all over in the mid eighties, my pal Christopher, and he was a big influence on me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna really pick stuff that I was first listening to with him when we were cranking songs, when, you know, we were like 16, 17, you know, the very, very first, I mean, he was a big reggae guy, uh-huh. loved steel pulse, but that kind of morphed into his love for the police. Mm. You know, he loved that rock and reggae and almost punk and ska sound in, in those early albums of the police, Regatta de Blanc and Atlantis de Amor. But when I talked to him about this idea, that the album that he brought up was the much shinier and bigger produced Ghost in the Machine, Great album. which was actually oh, their fourth album. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they had money. So they could actually go into the studio and really do it right, you know, because they were doing much more low budget albums in the late 70s and even um, Zenyatta Mandata. But this one was big. They brought in additional musicians. They had synth. They had horns. But there were a lot of great songs on there. You know, you think about the songs, you know, on that album that maybe were the radio hits. Every Mm -hmm. little thing she does is probably the big one. Spirits in the material world. There were some other songs that I mean, we definitely definite crank worthy. You know, you're reaching for the volume. Hungry for you is one of yeah. the great ones on there, yeah, which yeah. which Sting mostly sings in French. Yes, yeah, so you can uh, learn French with Sting. Exactly, <laughs> and uh, and Demolition Man, you know, just the power of, of Stuart Copeland's drumming on that tune, and just the the tempo. There's so many great songs on there. Too much information. Rehumanize yourself. Invisible Sun. That would be my uh, number five on this uh, on this list of albums that we definitely were uh, turning up the volume for. That album was. One of my, it's one of my favorite police albums. In fact, mm-hmm. it is my favorite of their, of their, well, they don't really have that many records. I think they've what, got five? five and that's five studio albums, but a few live ones. But, live, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, as far as the studio ones are concerned, but Ghost of the Machine, probably one of my favorites because most of the songs on there, while they are absolutely solid, they weren't overplayed. And I got this issue with, with songs being overplayed on the radio. So when Synchronicity came out, 
huge hit for them, of course. Mm-hmm. It was their, you know, their swan song in a way. But those songs got played a ton and oh. I got I got a little burnt out on it. Yeah. So King of Pain I, and King Every Pain. Breath You Take. Yeah. I like you know, they're, they're they're fine songs and I still like them. Oh, absolutely. Them, yeah. yeah. That I saw them on that tour. You lucky. You're day lucky. on the green. It yeah. was a day on the green in Oakland, California at the Oakland Alameda <laughs> County Coliseum. And it was the police and the fix and madness were the opening acts. And Thompson twins. That's right. That's right. Thompson 1983. And, and I know this because my friends went and my wife, Julie, was there too. So you you were there with uh, with people that, uh, well, I know. And, and I, I missed it because I was, I was working in radio. I was doing a weekend gig. <laughs> yeah. And- I said, oh, I'll just catch them next time they come around. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Not realizing that was like 2006 when they when they reformed to go back out on tour. And, and I, I heard like, that wasn't great. Wasn't. No, yeah, I it always sounds was. like they were just mailing it in for a check is kind Pretty of the much. impression I got from more than one person who shelled out big bucks to go I, see that show. And I, and I shelled out some big bucks because I said, I'm not going to miss them this time. <laughs> they probably ain't coming back. Oh, well. So I'm going to go with, uh, on my first pick, and I think this is on your list as well. Mm-hmm. And it it is inspired by something with your friend Christopher mm-hmm. driving around with him. I used to drive around with my best friend, Matt. He's still my best friend. This record is one that has no filler, no bad songs, and it's the debut album by The Cars. Just call The Cars. Boom. And I like the entire album. Mm-hmm. I think most people do. And even mm-hmm. though it's been played to death, again, my, my one of my pet peeves, why do you play these songs to death on classic rock radio? But it really reminds me of my junior and senior years of high school. My best friend and I used to drive around in my mom's Toyota Celica and uh, whenever I got the keys. So I'd, I'd cruise by his house and pick him up. And he'd always have this cassette with him and he'd pop it into the cassette player. He, he'd pop out whatever I was listening to. He goes, yeah, no, we're not listening to that. We're listening to this. So he'd put it on and we'd go on our little adventures, which was mostly about just driving around and talking and wasting gasoline. <laughs> but side two is the one that he would always play. Winner. Yeah, absolutely. It's only four songs on side two, but a solid list, the song set that is. So it starts with you're all I've got tonight. And then it goes right into Bye Bye Love. And then it goes into Moving in Stereo. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with All Mixed Up. Probably, you know, All Mixed Up is probably not the strongest song on that to, to end with. It's a it's a fine song. But with those three coming in, you know, in succession like that, it's just like, wow, this is just, yeah, turn it up. Amazing. So there's my, there's one of the crank songs that I did back in high school. Oh, yeah. And, and this one made your list too, right? It did. It was actually number one on this list. Yeah. But oh, I'll, it's number I'll, one. We I'll, can bounce around. I'll swap yeah. it out on the fly. We're, we're all good, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, no, but listen, shout out Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a certain someone's fantasy yeah. by the swimming pool and the song playing was moving in stereo. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. My number four. Um, listen, my buddy Christopher is a cool dude. We're still really good friends. He not only turned me on to some some of that earlier police stuff, but he also turned me on to you two mm-hmm. and Stevie Ray Vaughn. Nice. And so my number four is um Mostly couldn't stand the weather. Soul to Soul is there too, but couldn't stand the weather was the one. And the two songs on there start side one and side two. Couldn't stand the weather, the title track, and Cold Shot starts off side two. And Stevie Ray Vaughan came along at a time in the early 80s, and he made the blues cool again. He He made electric guitar cool. Like the 80s had really shifted in its sound, and you, you heard a lot more synth, 
and keyboard sound and you know bands were experimenting even even rush i mean you know they were doing totally different things in the mid 80s there stevie ray vaughn comes along and says no bullshit we're doing (laughs) the blues and we're doing it this way and he really started to kind of make his way into rock radio and i was lucky enough to see him before he died in fact christopher and i went to see him at arco arena in sacramento the huh. year that he died, oh, wow. he opened for Jeff Beck. And and the sad part is, is he was a 35-year-old guy, and he had just uh, gotten sober. And uh, the last album that he released um, as as a solo artist was called In Step, which is, is referring, you know, of course, to his sobriety. We just saw him just kick ass at the Arco Arena. So lucky to have seen him. But that's definitely my number four. Stevie Ray Vaughan, rest in peace, man. We, we lost a good one at a really young age. And who knows how much uh, more great music we would have had over the last, geez, 1990 he died. So, yeah, it's been a while. I think with Stevie Ray Vaughan, you make you make a good point because the guitar sound in the '80s started to become more, you know, more angular. It was less bluesy. It was, but mm-hmm. in fact, they've they've almost jettisoned the blues with a lot of new wave music. There just wasn't it didn't exist mm-hmm. within that within that genre. And I think that even pop music kind of jettisoned any kind of blues based music. But I liked that record a lot. I remember, again, was working radio. It feels like I've, I've worked in radio most of my adult <laughs> life, <laughs> except for now. But um, but yeah, I remember playing Cold Shot. Uh, I wasn't on the air then, but it was, you know, my job was to change tapes at this radio station. That nice. Was automated. But, but Stevie Ray Vaughan was on, and this was kind of a, a pop station in a way. And we're playing cold shot and it's like, nice. wow, great. yeah, this is awesome. So, but I, that was what I would, I would always turn up because sometimes you get tired of the shimmery pop stuff and you mm-hmm. wanted something with some heft and that definitely had some. Heft. Yeah. I so. mean, it had ex- heft. Thank you. That That's a good word. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he really, he jumped right in with both feet and he, did it the way he wanted to, you know, it was a short run, obviously, but uh, those two albums really stuck out for me and cruising around, you know, when, when couldn't stand the weather builds up and starts going full tilt. I mean, his vocal is so great on that song and, and roll down the windows. I don't care who's listening. If you don't like it, then you're lame. Unless we forget, he also played on David Bowie's Let's Dance, the entire album. He's on yeah, there. Bowie yeah. discovered him uh, when he was playing a show um, overseas. I have that tape somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. It was actually a jazz festival, wasn't it? Montreux. He played at the Montreux Jazz Festival. Okay. And, and, um, and I remember that because I have it, and the, and the guy is introducing him as French. But Bowie saw him mm-hmm. um, and was blown away. And uh, yeah, go back and listen to Let's Dance. It's a beautiful balance between Nile Roger and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Because mm-hmm, Nile's doing that shimmery. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. There's some some good work on there. Mm-hmm. So I, even though I was talking about how new wave music jettisoned the blues, some of pop music during the 80s was very shimmery and, and probably not find a blues note in a lot of those songs. I'm going to go for the uh, for the new wave stuff. It's another Matt record, by the way. It is Devo's, oh no, it's Devo. And it seems like Matt only had two cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> the Cars 1978 debut. And oh no, it's Devo. This album was not 
probably their most well-known out mm-hmm. of uh, Devo's catalog. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it, but it's probably their preeminent, dorky, nerdy opus. I think it's just it really is reflective of them just going right for sort of bizarre, dorky behavior. So it's got the, the first song on side one. And really side one is the is the side to, to go for. It's a time out for fun. Peekaboo was a single. You might have remembered that from MTV. They played the video a lot. Out of Sync and Explosions. And then it ends with That's Good, which was also a single. And that turned into a 12-inch. So that was that was played in a lot of clubs. So it's very dancey. Yeah, Devo. Oh, no, it's Devo. And every time I listen to that record, especially side one, I think of me. My friend Matt driving nice. around nice. in a 1980 Toyota Celica. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> with this with the little sunroof open and the windows down, and then I always love Devo. They cinched it for me when they covered the stones, right? Yeah, yes. I mean and what an original cover. That is one of the great yeah. covers of Satisfaction any yeah. stone song by any band. And they had another great song from that. I think that same album, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, called Space Junk. Just a yeah. great song. They had some really, really good stuff. And I mean, these are some guys just from the Midwest, and they just they clicked right into that whole punk new wave vibe. Mm-hmm. I mean, they rode mm-hmm. that wave. My number three on this on this uh, list here, you know, this was mid-80s period, me and my friend driving around, but another album that he had and that was in heavy rotation was Santana and Abraxas, mm, which yeah. was, you know, going back to just the post Woodstock around 1970, 71. But that was a big one. I mean, the jam at the end of Black Magic Woman and kind of the feedback and it goes right into Oye Como Va mm-hmm. or uh, or the organ and drum intro that builds up Mother's Daughter or just the the great percussion and piano work at Incident at Nejbar. Just amazing. Hope you're feeling better. I mean, j- just the greatest of the great. If I had just one Santana album, and he has a fantastic catalog of music, but that would be the one if I had to choose. Perfect. Uh, we I had that. Well, I didn't have it. My mom, like your mother, your mother's very hip on music. Very my cool. Was, yeah. yeah, my mom was same way. She bought a Braxis back when it, first came out so we had that album growing up as small children mm. so i was listening to the, that record probably you know it's like five years old or something like that so yes ex- excellent pick excellent pick you referenced rush moving pictures mm-hmm. Rush's moving pictures shows up on my my list and do i have to remind longtime planet lp listeners about my love of rush probably not Probably um, not. I all mean, things talked, rush. Yeah. All things rush. This is your guy right here. This is it your is, guy. yeah. And I've, t- I've talked about my first time seeing this band, which was in Oakland back in 1981. They were touring behind this album. I mm. got a contact high uh, because there was so much pot in the oh, air. Yeah. <laughs> was my and I didn't know that I was stoned because I kept <laughs> thinking like, it's like a dream, but we're not in a dream, but we are in a dream. And all the guys I was with are like, you're stoned, man. I'm like, no, I'm not. I didn't, I didn't smoke any pot. Is it, did you not see all this pot that's being blown out? This I mean, giant we cloud. Sitting, we were sitting at the top. I mean, literally at the top of the ocean. <laughs> you know, it all rises. Yeah. Yeah. It all rises <laughs> at the top. So, yeah. So that was my, uh, that was my first experience with Rush. But there's, 
like the Cars debut album, there's not a bad song on this record from start to finish, right? It's it's Rush in prime form. Mm. So listen so to good. it, love it, live it, especially Red Barchetta. I mean, that is a song about absolute car freedom. So mm-hmm. you put it really well earlier about how great that song was, especially like the bridge, you know, the way in which they phrase the lyrics. It is. I, I mean, because, you know, Neil was a, a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. And he would come up with some kind of semi sci-fi imagery and topics in, in some of his songwriting. And I just mm-hmm. found it interesting. But the lyrics are so interesting in the song, but the music is brilliant. The the whole song, the way it builds up the intro, you know, Alex's guitar part. I mean, it's it's really a, a great song. But I mean, you you shove that one right in the middle of Limelight and YYZ. And I mean, yeah. it's just a killer set of songs right out of the gate i mean Absolutely. Yeah. yeah i love i love moving pictures yes and it's pick. so funny it's funny about red barchetta because they mispronounced it it's actually barchetta mm. that's how you say the name of the car and uh, you and i live in the bay area and there is a an, an auto museum in danville called the bearing auto museum oh okay and they have i don't know if they still have it but they have a red barchetta there that you can you can see <laughs> And when Rush came uh, and they used to play the Concord Pavilion, apparently Neil Peart used to stop by that museum to look at the cars. Nice. And I often wondered if, you know, when he saw this red barquette. Interesting. There, it's just like, he's probably, I'm sure he's got a, a picture of himself standing by this car in his own personal, you know, well, loved, his family. Yeah. Loved, loved cars and motorcycles. Yeah, and absolutely. Loved to get out on the open road. Yeah. Um, I have to go back to exit stage left. When they yeah. introduced the song, this is Reda Barchetta, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's how red. I, and I thought, well, that must be the way it is because that's what he just said, right? <laughs> the Red Barchetta is a Red Barchetta. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, exactly. Yeah. Well, All right. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yeah, right, right. All right, you're up. Here we go. Let's see where you are. You are taking us next. I told you that Christopher, my good friend and still very good friend, turned me on to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. He also turned me on to you too. This Excellent. was before the Joshua Tree, so okay. kind of the very early U2. I mean, War and Boy were in the rotation, mm-hmm. but the one that I always remember, this, I mean, you know, some things just sear in your mind, but I remember mm-hmm. sitting with him in front of his mom's house and backing out of his driveway, and we were driving somewhere, I don't remember, and he throws on Under a Blood Red Sky. Do you hear the audience pipe up? And Bono says, there's been a lot of talk about this song. Maybe way too much talk. This song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday, bloody Sunday. In comes the drums, right? Yeah. And the crowd <laughs> goes freaking nuts. U2 is one of the best live stadium bands I have ever seen. Those four guys, and it's just the four guys, mm-hmm. you know, they can carry a sound to fill a stadium, right? I mean, I saw them um, in the Oakland Coliseum the outdoor stadium where the, yeah. uh, where the Oakland A's and the Oakland Raiders used to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only did they fill that thing up, but I mean, they just completely kicked ass and I've seen them a couple other times, but what I loved about just the whole feel of that early U2 and, and the live U2, like it's a much faster tempo, but there is just so much raw energy and emotion in this man. I mean, they are really all in but what really jumped out at me too, particularly in that song, is just how fantastic Adam Clayton is as a bass player and just his thick and 
biting bass lines and he just carries that sound. I mean, they're just such a beautifully contained unit. And Bono's voice is so amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just really quite a unique band. And that they've stayed together, those original four, this whole time, Yeah, um, it, I find amazing. But this, again, before the Joshua Tree, I was kind of, mm, I like you too, da-da-da-da, you know. And then, and then I thought, uh, mm, I don't know, Joshua Tree is kind of big and bold and rattle and hum. But then we've talked about this before. When Octune Baby came out. Mm-hmm. that cinched it for me it's like okay i'm i'm in with these guys and I'm, I'm in for the rest of the ride i wasn't the biggest fan i mean i liked them but octune baby just kind of turned everything but that live uh, under a blood red sky is just fantastic and you know we were definitely cranking that one can't disagree with you on that pick i love that live record i think it's one of their best mm-hmm. of the live recordings that they they've either released Officially, or they've released unofficial, or you could get it unofficially. <laughs> bootleg. They have some great covers. Mm-hmm. They really do. Um, I mean, how many bands cover Helter Skelter? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. But uh, yeah, that's a good one. So how about you? You're up. I'm going to go with a, a live pick because, you know, sort of going with the Under a Blood Red Sky, it was probably the second live record I ever bought. And it's Journeys Captured, mm. which came out in 1981, and I was in high school, because these are the high school years. Probably like you, I mean, you, unless you had like a part-time job or something, you relied on your folks to give you money. So I had a little bit of extra money saved up from doing some odd jobs around the house or whatever. And I went and I bought this live album, mostly because they had one extra song that they recorded in the studio called the party's over which they used to play on the radio and i liked it when i first heard it. i thought this is kind of a cool song so i go and i buy the record and i didn't know really much about i knew the hits that were played prior mm-hmm. to this record so oddly enough i used to read a lot of rolling stone magazine at the school library my high school library and so i saw that they had reviewed this record and i believe they gave it a one and a half star review they said very good. Jeez. But I used to listen to this a lot. And it's a great collection of songs because it has the hits, but it also has some of the deeper tracks that I don't think Journey even plays anymore. So it's very boogie-woogie, very bluesy in some way. And this was actually the last record that uh, the keyboardist Greg Raleigh played on. He mm. was a founding member of Journey. He left right. the band after that. And then they became superstars with journey's escape. Yeah. But this is uh this is one that I put on cassette because I had the actual vinyl record, but I put songs on it but on cassette and I would crank the crap out of this album for some reason. I re-listened to it just before we started recording this episode and I realized it is pretty solid. I mean they they they're playing really well. Steve Perry's voice is just right on the money. It's so good. And I thought, no wonder these guys were such big superstars because they were a pretty solid band back in the day. You know, they're still recording music with the new singer who sounds a little bit like Steve Perry. But if you ever get a chance to stream Journeys Captured, Michael, just try it out and let me know what you think, (laughs) because I really liked it back then. I really love Steve Perry's voice. It's cool they found this younger kid from the Philippines, right, who who Mm -hmm. stepped in to to take the lead. I mean, because it's hard to... Yeah, Arnell as you, yeah. As you get older, I mean, it, it's 
to find that range in vocal that he had, that's not just going to stay with you. I mean, you've, you've heard that with a lot of singers as they mature and get, and get older. Yeah. But, um, I, I love their sound. I mean, growing up in the Bay area, I mean, they Mm -hmm. were a Bay area band, just like the Jefferson airplane and starship and the grateful dead and Santana and Huey Lewis and the news. And, you know, even Metallica, they were, they were, Mm -hmm. um, uh, hatched in the East Bay before um, they really hit it big, but yeah, a lot of a lot of great stuff. But Journey had a really prolific period there in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. They had a lot of material out at that time. Absolutely, yeah they they definitely dominated the airwaves and the video too. When when MTV comes along, mm-hmm. so. one of my favorite songs is it's so doesn't sound like them at all. It's not like a big stadium sound, but it's mm-hmm. a song called "Walks Like a Lady." Um, that it's one, just, I believe that one's on captured. I, I can't remember yeah. if it's departure or captured or I, I, well, no, they, I all, mean, they do, they do the live version of it. Oh, I think the live, I'm sorry. Yeah, the yeah, live version. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's just a really nice, simple blue shuffle, you know, and it, you just, uh, you can kind of hear the tasty kind of, uh, blues variety that a, a Neil Sean is yeah. uh, implementing into that tune, but it's so, like a more subdued song. You know, he's not singing in full voice, Steve Perry. It's great. That is track 12 on Captured. And nice. then it goes, then they go into La Duda, and then out come the hits. Love Boom. and touch and squeeze and wheel in the sky and any way you want it. And then the the studio track of The Party's Over closes out the record. Dig it. Yeah, try it out. See what you, if you get All a right. chance. Give it All a right. little. All right, cool, cool. And now over to you. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> My um, number one was The Cars, which we already talked about. Yes. I've got a couple of honorable mentions because, again, this is mid-80s. And um, my friend, you know, was also listening to Springsteen at the time, Born in the USA, which, which is another good one. Another one, he liked, um, he liked rock. He liked things that were a little edgier, too. So at the time, In Excess was uh, in his lane and Kick was another album yeah, that a great album, we yeah. absolutely loved and that we would listen to in the car. And that was kind of his sound and kind of his look at the time. And and uh, so, yeah, that was heavy in his rotation. So I guess I would just dovetail that quickly just when when I started driving a couple of years later and, and just some cassettes that I was wearing out in my car uh, when I was driving back and forth. I was living in Davis, California, going to a UC Davis, and I'd drive back and forth to the Bay Area and Davis. The, the albums that I was wearing out when I had control of the tape deck and uh, and <laughs> my and, tape deck now <laughs> kids ask your parents what a tape deck is. Exactly. Um, Wish You Were Here by Pink mm-hmm. Floyd wore that one into the ground live at Leeds. The, the Who is my favorite all time band and just the, the ferocity of that live album. If anyone questions how ferocious <laughs> The Who was as a band. Some say, oh, they're just kind of a quirky, funny band or whatever when they first started out. It, all you have to do is go back and listen to this, you know, when they were in their absolute prime with Keith Moon, and you've got a 16 minute jam of my generation, and you have a nearly eight minute magic bus. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole thing starts out with Young Man Blues, which just That's blazes a yeah. trail. Um, it, it's just an amazing album. A couple others, uh, Asia, Steely Dan was a big one. And uh, newer albums at that time for me, um, Shake Your Money Maker by mm-hmm. the Black Crows. Yeah. Uh, you know, Twice as Hard, Hard to Handle, Jealous Again. And uh, I mentioned Stevie Ray Vaughan in Step. This album came out just before he died. When my friend and I saw 
him at Arco Arena with Double Trouble. He was performing these new songs live, which included uh, Crossfire, The House is Rockin', and uh, Tightrope. And uh, just to finish it off, mixtapes were huge, as we discussed in our last podcast. So I always probably had, you know, five or ten just uh, whatever tapes half labeled or not sure what was on them and just throw them in and see what happens. That's always fun because yeah, yeah, yeah. then you can kind of. What was this? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back that up. Let's yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, rewind that. So my final uh, pick, I didn't rank order these. So you did. You you have a list. Kind I, of. I was yeah. More, yeah, I was more just these are these are albums, but it's uh, The The's Soul Mining. This one's a bit of a cheat. It's not really high school. It came out months after I graduated from high school, mm-hmm. but it was a record that I cranked in my very first car that was bought for me from my father. It was very low end. It was a Nissan Sentra, bare bones, no air conditioning, manual transmission. Didn't even come with a radio. I had to put one in with a cassette player and speakers and all of that. But it was mine. It was my car, and I got to uh, I got to drive it uh, as much as I wanted to, as you know. As yeah, as I guess. And I had I, I had a job. I had a job at that point, so mm-hmm. a part time job in radio. You sensing a theme here, Michael? Man, <laughs> been in radio far too long. Anyway, so I bought this album on a whim, mostly because of the cover, and I was mm-hmm. at Rasputin Records in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So I I took a gamble, bought the cassette, got back to my car plugged it into the cassette player and it starts with like this countdown, like somebody counting down uh, like a rocket ship about to, to launch, you know, turn, and then it goes into this extended four, four beat drumming. That's very, you know, hypnotic in a way. And then things start to build and then boom, we're right into it with Matt Johnson. He's singing this kind of this very low voice, but it's very intense. And the song is I've been waiting for tomorrow all my life. That's the first song on soul mining. Well, as it turns out, my gamble paid off. Soul Mining was received really warmly by critics. That's back when critics mattered. Here's a quote from NME, New Musical Express critic Don Watson. He said, quote, in days when the pop song has been reduced to the reiteration of catchphrases, Matt Johnson flexes a rare literary flair. More importantly, He has the command of the music's immense possibilities to carry them through without self-indulgence. Ignore this LP if you must, but you'll be ignoring one of the year's rare heart-stopping moments. And I was like, wow, it was a gamble that paid off, and I agree with that critic. Mm -hmm. Soul mining. The, the. Yeah, I always count on you to come up with something a little off the beaten path. Oh, I have to. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Totally. Well, let's uh, let's let's flash forward into the present, shall we? Comparing past and present tastes can be tricky. I mean, a band like Journey is still recording new music, like I said. So, do I listen to their most current record, like I did maybe the Captured album, like I did back then? Well, the short answer is no. But I still listen to bands that I listened to in high school that are still recording music. Uh, Rush was one of them. Well, they no longer exist as a band. But uh, here's a band whose final album, which was called Clockwork Angels, is simply one of the best in their discography. Not every song on this record works for me, but the vast majority of them do. And the album ends with one of Rush's finest compositions 
and it's called The Garden. It's a loose concept album. In fact, there was a novel that was written after this record came out and two sequels to that universe that Neil Peart uh, and Kevin J. Anderson, he's a sci-fi writer, they kind of created this steampunk universe where it tells a loose story that seems to me kind of about Neil Peart, this guy that leaves this very conservative but very stable life and he's sort of a you know assistant manager with his dad and he hops on a zeppelin in a way and he goes off to this faraway city to see these clockwork angels and he has these adventures and he gets ripped off and it's it's sort of a story of candide things don't go so well for him throughout this story but in the end in the garden he kind of looks at his life and realizes, you know, what's the most important things are the people that you love, the people that you connect that that respect you. And that's the most important lesson in life. And so Clockwork Angels for me is, is one that I do crank and it's a a fabulous album. So there. Nice. Nice. So is that your number five? (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's the first entry. I didn't rank order them, but I'm just going to be. Yeah. 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 It's fine. We're just rolling along. I will say that most everything I was talking about from, high school and college time when I when I was first listening to this stuff. I mean, a lot of these albums I still love. If side two of the cars comes on, I'm I'm turning up the volume. Yeah, you, you are. Know, if, uh, <laughs> you know, if Mother's Daughter or Black Magic Woman, again, th- those are still with me. So mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, I was just trying to, as we discuss this off mic, songs that came out after that period that yeah, are maybe fine. a little more current, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, So my number five is uh, R.E.M., and it's a little more of an obscure tune. It's called Revolution, and it was actually on the Batman and Robin soundtrack in 1997, Ah, but it was later released on a package of rarities and B-sides. It's R.E.M. kind of in a little bit of a different light. I mean, it's it's aggressive. It's almost punk. You know, some really kind of edgy lyrics referring to... um, you know, bombing the abortion clinic. And uh, there's an Oliver North reference in there. And (laughs) uh, Reagan's administration's defense is the deficit. Michael so it's Stipe very is, political. It's very he, political. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- but, this, but the song comes right at you. I mean, it just kicks the door down. Um, my favorite lyric, though, is um, you try to look like a punk rock girl, a whole lot of sneer and little curl, but I don't have time for your theatrics. Everyone knows that you're a bad actress. <laughs> That's my man, Michael Stipe. Um, REM Revolution. I don't um, know this song. Whenever that song yeah. comes on, I have it, you know, on some playlists or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have that that REM Rarities B side. If I have it in the car or whatever, boom, I I, I want that loud. Yeah, you you've piqued my interest. Now I have to search out and, and listen to this one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, keeping with the political theme, mine is Green Day's American Idiot. Yeah, that's a that good one. Record, yeah, that record got me through the George W. Bush years. You know, <laughs> it uh, it came out at a time that really caught a kind of center left rebelliousness that was reflected in this loose concept album. I guess I like concept albums. So, you know, this one had kind of a concept to it. Talk about not having a bad track on this record. This album was such an inspiration for a younger generation. I was taking drum lessons around the time the, this album had come out and I was talking with my, my drum teacher 
who also taught guitar. And mm-hmm. he said, Oh my God. He said the number of 12 and 13 year old kids coming in here and just wanting to learn every song on American idiot. I'm just so tired of this <laughs> album. He said, because it uses sort of the, the big book of big chunky rock guitar chords. I was going to say, there's gotta yeah. be a lot of bar chords. Yeah. Cause definitely. that was always kind of Billy Joe's jam. I mean, he mm-hmm. always has those a shape based or E shape based bar chords and he's just sliding up and down the, the neck, you know, with his, with his three chords of power. Yeah. So like the Beatles inspired a lot of people to get into bands after their appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. Right. And Ludwig sold a shit ton of drums. Ringo. Because because of Ringo. That's what Ringo played. Green Day's American Idiot inspired a lot of young people to get into learning how to play guitar. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was one of those albums that gets a little underappreciated in a way for the cultural impact, not the political side, Mm -hmm. but the fact that it, it it was inspiring to a lot of younger people. Um, at the time. I think that's a great point because I think um, popular music got away from the instrumentation. It was Mm -hmm. finding the right beat. It was finding the right rhythm track that was already pre-recorded. And we're going to create a song over that where you're seeing more and more musicians and and current bands where they're they're playing their own instruments the guitar has Mm -hmm. has come back and i think that helps you know you see someone like a taylor swift you know she's Mm -hmm. she's playing her guitar and and writing her own songs and um you know you're still going to have that dance beat or whatever the the synth and the fake drum but i i'm always happy like when i see the grammys or something more recently where you're seeing bands and they're they're actually out there with instruments and musicians mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. so maybe uh green day gets a thumbs up for kind of shoving things in, in in back in that direction i think they did they they had their their moment and it 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 worked well at least in my little slice of of the world and what (laughs) i was what i was hearing from and and you know music teachers they make their living right by by teaching mostly middle school and high school kids sometimes you know grade school but yeah his name was jerry kennett that was my that was my drum teacher and jerry would always say he's like I, mean, I'm, I'm, I like the Green Day album, but I'm so sick of it right now because that's all I'm teaching. <laughs> Man, that's like you with certain bands on the radio. Like I, I know I yeah. played them so much, I never want to hear them again. <laughs> I think maybe the Eagles might be high on that list. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't yeah, get yeah. Ted started on the Eagles. No, no, I don't want to go down that road. All right, I so, try to keep it. Let's keep it positive, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, I don't have any Eagles songs here, so we're good. Oh, good, thank you. Um, okay, though, th- you know, there might be a couple of good ones that actually would be very crank worthy if you, if mm-hmm. you think about it lonesome day is yeah. my number four um, we're going the rising springsteen post 9 11 release in 2002 that song starts off the album it's really a, a song more generically about trying to make it through a difficult time fill in the blank you know somebody died you know i've gone through some horrible medical issue um you know i'm i'm dealing with some major issue in this case it fit perfectly with filling in the blank of course the tragedy of 911 mm-hmm. and um this lyric the first lyric of the song is baby once i thought i knew everything i needed to know about you your sweet whisper your tender touch i didn't really know that much Joke's on me, but it's going to be okay if I can just get through this lonesome day. 
So, I mean, even in the context of a, a 9-11, I kind of hear the sense of this is someone that I knew that I loved and they're gone. Yeah. You know, how do yeah. I get through this, you know, lonesome day? Everything I, th- I thought I needed to know about you, you know, we were together and then you're obliterated. I mean, that album really, really still kind of emotionally moves me. I still love it. And um, Lonesome yeah. Day is my it's- number four. A great, great pick, um, and I love how he ends it almost on like like on a gospel note. You know, it has a sort of a gospel flair at mm-hmm. the end. It does give you an opening of hope, and we will get through this vibe because right, you know right. Bruce is Jersey, and Jersey is Bruce, yeah. and that those are his people, and they needed him. They really needed him at that time, and he. He conveyed that in his book. He came through. And he I did. Mean, he he, he had of, a few songs already that that yeah. fit. And then he wrote more. And then he was working with this new producer, like a younger guy, like to get a fresh vibe on things. I forget his name. And um, people are screaming at the podcast right now. Um, <laughs> it's so and so, you dummy. Um, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, again, this was not on my script, Ted. Right. Yeah. Um, I know. But he, you know, he put that together and um it's a beautiful piece of work i think one of the highlights of his career and maybe my favorite springsteen album end to end it is definitely a healing album if mm-hmm. you will yes yeah. that's agreed of, just so people aren't screaming at the podcast it's brendan o'brien who produced it thank so you i had to look that up i, I could not remember his I, name. Needed, I needed to give you a, a save there so i knew it was a younger guy that he had just started working with yeah so thank you for that you got it you got it so another zeitgeist album uh in my pick is is pearl jams 10 Mm-hmm. I think that this record Winner. was a was a much needed palate cleanser after rock got a little too polished, a little too bloated, a little mm-hmm. too corporate towards the end of the eighties. I think Pearl Jam. What I liked about them, especially on this record, is that there's an earnestness and in, and kind of a integrity that reminded me of U two in a way. The songs are incredibly heavy, uh, and that's what I loved about it. You know, I was all in on ten, and to this day, mm-hmm. it's a record that I that I crank. I love, just love it. I think it's a it's a wonderful record. Yeah, I mean, there's some bands that really kind of went against that. You're talking about bloated, polished, mm-hmm. um, and, and grunge. Thankfully, was kind of a, a counterpoint that was needed. Yeah, in the yeah. early '90s, and I I still love Nirvana, and some people don't, but. I still think they're fabulous. And then, of course, Dave Grohl went on to uh, form the Foo Fighters after that. And rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins, while we're on the thought and concept of that. So my number three, it was a song that first came out in 1990, but I had it in a remastered package of songs Mm -hmm. called Essential Oils by Midnight (laughs) Oil in 2011. And whenever I hear the shimmery, jagged guitar intro into the keyboards and then this soaring harmonica and then a kind of a drum beat kicks in it's blue sky mine oh yeah and it kicks in big time with this just thumping bass and just this soaring harmonica and you want to get into political songs yeah definitely um this one is definitely high up on the list but the way that song just for me, you know, some songs just give you that feel, give you a chill. Like this is definitely one that came to me, but Hey, you know, there'll be food on the table and pay in your pocket pocket tonight. tonight. If you you work all day in the blue sky mine, but what are the long-term effects of that? You know, in this case, it was basically around a true story 
about asbestos poisoning to uh, mine workers in Australia, where the band is from. Huge hit, really heavy song, but uh, the package is just dynamic. And from the first time I ever heard it, I just, who are these guys? I love this song, Blue Sky Mine, Midnight Oil. Excellent. Good pick. My next one is um, a band that you know I love because I've talked about them ad nauseum. No, it's not Rush. It's Belly. And Mm -hmm. it's their second album, King. And they only recorded three albums. King was their last record they made before taking a little break, like 20 years. Tanya Donnelly wrote some really wonderful songs that rock pretty hard at times on this record. But they also have some really great pop hooks that she laces in. And I play this one every now and then and just marvel how well it stands the test of time. I think that King is just one of those albums for me that there's just not a bad song on there, like nice. a lot of these albums that I listen to. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, you're going albums. I'm going songs. But um, I know. It's fine. Yeah. It's um, just, yeah. Yeah. I've got some um, old school you know, songs I was thinking of too, but I was trying to think of more recent stuff. And I, I have a boss Skaggs album from 2015, Hmm. which is called a fool to care. He covers a song. It's actually the first song on the album. It's called rich woman. Okay. And so this is a cover from a 19, I think 55 song that was recorded by little millet and his Creoles. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Um, (laughs) And, and, and so it's, 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 it's a killer groove and, and his, Boz always has the best players around him. They recreate this sound brilliantly just from the shuffling percussion to the horns. But the song just starts out with Boz and the original is fairly close to that, but he starts out just wailing, you know, just he comes in with, I've got a woman with plenty of money. And then the guitar part comes in. She's got the money and I've got the honey. And then the drums come in. Another guitar part comes in. It's a great song. It's only like two and a half, three minutes or whatever. But um, just the way that it comes in and and builds up. And I was just trying to think of something newer. But that's one that I, I definitely like to listen to loud. Okay. No, no judgment here. It's, it's what gives you pleasure, right? We go from belly to boss gags. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what's after that. Your well, turn. The, the last of the collection that I have of albums that I crank is a fairly new one. It's the latest from Tears for Fears called nice. The Tipping Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this record came out this uh, this year, 2022, and it's just grown and grown and grown more impressive each time that I listen to it. Almost every song is solid. There's a couple of like, eh, it's all right, but it, it's it's a it stands on its own as a very, very confident and solid recording. It's like listening to a record with amazing deep cuts. So if you're looking for like, you know, like shout, like a redux of shout or Mm -hmm. sowing the seeds of love or everyone wants to rule the world or change, you ain't going to get it on this record. You just aren't. But what you (laughs) are going to get on this record is I just look at it as kind of a, a subtle genius of an album. If you decide to give this record a try, just live with it for a time, meaning that just play it over and over over the course of, you know, a few weeks, if not over a month. And let its charms reveal themselves because they mm. will. You'll find that this record is very, very, very good. Ted is a um, fan. Yes. I am a big fan. And I got to see them on this tour too. And That's they, right. That's right. Oh my God. They were so good. Conquered, right? It was a Concord, yeah. And, you know, the tickets were like 30 bucks for lawn seats. So nice. uh, Julie and I went and we went with my brother, Steve, and his then girlfriend was uh, was with us. And I was just marveling at how strong Roland Orzabal's voice is. Because you think about some of those songs from the 80s, 
he's really screaming it out, you know, mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit. not just shout, but like mother's talk or got a very strong voice. And he was hitting all those notes. We were talking about how, you know, a certain, like with Steve Perry, as you age, you you don't have that, that range that you did when you were younger, but right. for some reason, Roland Orzabal at 61, I guess he is yeah. now, 62, he was hitting those notes. And I'm all like, oh my God, I kept remarking to Julie, I said, his voice hasn't lost anything. It's amazing. Nothing. Some some singers lose it and some singers don't lose it. I mean, Bono right. is a great example. I mean, he mm-hmm. still can hit most of those notes, you know, right. singing live. I mean, the times that I've seen him, but there are other singers that just, you know, they go down an octave, you know, right. from where right. they were because they just can't get there anymore. Kurt Smith, who who's the, you know the other half of that duo, he was struggling that night, but he did say he was having some trouble with his voice. He was you know, he was drinking tea towards the end of the concert. It looks like his his voice warmed up, and he was he was doing all right. He can't quite hit it mm-hmm. like he used to, but yeah, Roland was nice. Ball, man, tears for fears, yeah, tears for fears. The tipping point. I love it. All right, well, my uh, top one is. Um, from Tom Petty, solo Tom Petty. And my favorite Tom Petty album is Wildflowers, mm-hmm. which came out in 1994. There's so many great songs on the album. I would say pretty much every song I, I love, but the one that really uh, gets turned up loud is uh, You Wreck Me, which is uh, just kind of this fantastic driving three chord progression. Petty's uh, chorus is You Wreck Me, Baby. Yeah, you break me in two, but you move me, honey. Yes, you do. <laughs> da, da, da. It's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's just rock. It, you know, it's just three chord rock and let's go. Um, he was there's very just, good at that three chords in the truth. Wasn't he? he really, he really <laughs> was. Um, there's just something about that song. And when, when we got to see him at the Greek theater in Berkeley, California, before he died in 2017, we saw him about six weeks before he died. They were on their 40th anniversary tour. And man, when they cranked that one up live, it still, still just gets me going. But I, I was there that night. I wasn't at the show, but my daughter was going to UC Berkeley at the time and living at home. So mm-hmm. I was there picking her up. Nice. And I could hear the music coming from the Greek theater. Awesome. Yeah. So, cause May, I got in the car and she goes, oh, they're having a concert tonight. I said, oh, it's Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. She said, you want to drive up there and maybe listen to it? I said, no, nah, it's all right. Yeah, it's <laughs> I said, I, I know, I know there are a couple people at, uh, at work that are at this concert tonight. Though. Oh yeah. 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 Our, our good friend, Mark is a, <laughs> right. a big, you, you, big yeah. fan. Yes. You and Mark were definitely there. Um, I think maybe even Ron might've been there. Oh too. yeah. They're, they're a tag team. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and can I just say one more thing? Because we sure. got so, we got so jumbled up in all of this stuff stuff and talking about so many different things in so many different directions. But for the initial history lesson of songs and, and someone very vital that I left out, I just want to say Chuck Berry also was as huge with his, just Maybelline and no mm-hmm. particular place to go. They fit into that pantheon that we were trying to uh, set up at the beginning. And you can't overlook Chuck Berry and his influence mm-hmm. on a generation of musicians mm-hmm. that listened to his music and then turned around and started trying to copy some of those guitar licks. Boom. Yeah. 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 So he was definitely uh, the source for not only inspiration, but, but well, musical ideas. That's for all I got, that. Ted. Yeah. In the words of Jackson Brown, I'm running on empty. Apparently you are. And that is a wrap. We're back in the garage. The car is in park. The headlights are off and your folks are wondering, where the hell were you? <laughs> <laughs> you see what time it is. 
And did you put gas in the car? <laughs> Michael Magali, thank you so much for rolling down the highway with me. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Ted. And uh, I always look forward to our little chats here on the Planet LP. Yes. And speaking of the Planet LP, thank you, dear listeners who listen to Planet LP. Thank you for your support and spending part of your day with us. Until next time, take care, everyone. <laughs>